Our Savior said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. I pray that in your heart and I know in our worship, we have been lifting high the name of Jesus through our song and hopefully through your heart's endless praise. I want to invite you to take your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue to hear Jesus' conversation about this blessed life he's called us to live. Today we're zeroing in on Beatitude number 3, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Once again, Jesus shocks the world, all of those who are listening, his audience, and he turns conventional thinking on its head with this statement. Blessed are the meek. In a world then and a world now that values strength, and power, and self-assurance, and aggressiveness, such a statement appears to be ridiculous, backwards, even upside down. So the world, our culture may ask, so how in the world are the meek going to inherit anything? Life doesn't work that way, but... The life that received God's favor and His approval and His kingdom does work that way. And so we zero in on the beatitude of the meek. And as we unpack these beatitudes, remember that that word beatitude just simply means blessing. In other words, these beatitudes describe the type of life that is the blessed life. The life that stands in God's favor. The life that receives God's approval through Christ. The Beatitudes are not natural, natural personality traits. We cannot manufacture these Beatitudes on our own. Rather, they are inside-out transformation by the Spirit of God for the children of God. None of us lives these Beatitudes to perfection. Only Jesus is the perfect fit. It is not my desire or our pastor's desire as we preach these messages for you to walk away beating yourself up because you don't measure up. There's good news. None of us do. Rather, we pray that you will have clarity about who Jesus is, remembering the Beatitudes push beyond themselves to the portrait of Christ. Understanding that these Beatitudes paint a picture of the righteousness that is that of Christ and that we're called to live out. And understanding that we have a growing desire, I pray, that we are to grow up in this righteous life that we're called to live in Christ. Remember, too, that these Beatitudes have a progression. We're on number three. First one's blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who realize their spiritual bankruptcy will automatically begin to be blessed are those who mourn over their sin and the sin around them and the suffering that sin brings. And those who mourn over the sins will begin to grow up in this thing that we're going to unpack today called meekness. And so like the rest of the Beatitudes, understand this quality, this righteousness of meekness is not man-made, rather spirit-produced. And so we make ourselves available to the good work that God has begun at salvation and continues to do in the life of every believer. We might have oversized clothing on today. 
But our prayer is that we grow up so that this clothing of righteousness in Christ is a better fit as we live out our faith. Matthew chapter 5, if you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. As you do, I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online. Thank you so much for tuning in on this beautiful day that God has given us. Matthew chapter 5, let's go back to verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up to a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth, and he began saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be, what? Comforted. And then blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father, by your Spirit, open our minds to truth. Help our hearts to be receptive. Give us attentive ears to hear what your Spirit has to say. And grow us in this righteousness that is ours in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Many of Jesus' listeners that were hearing him at this time knew exactly how to act as spiritually proud and self-sufficient people. They, they had majored on that. They eagerly anticipated a Messiah who would come looking for that Messiah to deal with them gently, but to deal with their oppressors harshly. And for the last hundred years, that oppressor has been Rome. They did not anticipate their Messiah coming meekly and humbly. Yet, when Jesus entered Jerusalem at the triumphal entry, as we know it, and we read about it in the Gospels, Jesus was hailed as he who comes in the name of the Lord and as the one who came gently mounted riding on a donkey. John MacArthur stated, The idea of a meek Messiah leading a meek people was far from their concept of what the Messianic kingdom would be. The Jews understood military power. The Jews even understood miraculous power. But they did not understand this meekness as power. They even understood the power of compromise, though they didn't like it a whole lot. But this meekness was foreign to them. And it was not something that they wanted to pursue. So let's unpack what Jesus said. Remember the Beatitudes, as we get in the rhythm of them, there's a proclamation and a promise. Blessed are... And for they shall. Blessed are, for they shall. So we're going to look, number one, at the proclamation. Blessed are the meek. Meek, as we hear that word, we're reminded that's not a word that we use every day. But if we Google or do a quick online search, we might be reminded. Maybe that's why we don't pursue and seek to be meek every day. Because here are some synonym, synonyms to it. Submissive. That's popular in our culture, right? Manageable, spiritless, spineless, weak need. And one even said zero as a synonym. Nobody wants to strive to be a zero, right? In the midst of a culture that frowns on meekness still, Jesus proclaims boldly and with clarity for us today that the meek are the blessed ones. In God's kingdom, it's not the self-sufficient. 
In God's kingdom, it's not the self-promoting. In God's kingdom, it's not those who grandstand and have a louder voice, the know-it-all who is honored in their place, in their position. Jesus said, in my kingdom, it's going to be the meek. The Greek word simply means gentle and humble, even dependent. Uh, the, the word was used to describe, on one hand, at times, a soothing medicine. And medicine's interesting. The wrong medicine could be hazardous to you, or too much of the right medicine is a bad thing. But meekness is like the soothing medicine, the right medicine, and the right dosage that brings help and healing. Sometimes it was described as a soft breeze, a gentle breeze. Wind can be very destructive in a tornado or a hurricane, but that gentle breeze on a beach sometimes is refreshing, right? Some of you just went there. I lost you, right? (laughs) Biblically, this is what we know. Meekness is, is part of that righteousness in Christ that he demonstrates first and foremost and that we are called to live with. Meekness is not weakness in the kingdom of God. Meekness is Christ's likeness and it is strength. Meekness has always been God's way for man. Meekness is developed in our vertical relationship with God. I've said for the last two weeks, the first four Beatitudes basically are vertical, our relationship with God. That's where meekness starts, but also meekness leaks out to those around us and how we relate to others. This is where we start to see what kingdom living looks like in a world that's anything but kingdom-minded. So what does a meek person look like? I'm so glad that you're eager to know, so we got some sentences I'm going to put out to you. One, meek people do not put themselves forward to be recognized or prioritized. The spotlight is not something that the meek are seeking. It's not that someone who is well-known and popular can't be meek, for they can be. Rather, it's that they don't aim to be well-known or popular, and they're not living just for the spotlight. Jesus was incredibly popular, yet he was meek. Jesus attracted the crowds, yet he was meek. Jesus was in the spotlight often, but he was meek. And he didn't live for the spotlight. He demonstrated that strength of meekness. I couldn't help but remember Paul's words in Ephesians in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 to believers. He compels us to walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called. With all humility and gentleness, meekness, with patience, showing forbearance for one another and to one another in love. John the Baptist had the attitude right. As the forerunner of Christ announcing his coming. And John the Baptist said, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. So as children of God, as we seek to live out this righteousness that we have in Christ and, and, and seek to be meek, it is that Christ increase and we in our sinful self decrease. Jesus, the one who is King of kings and Lord of all, it's told, uh, it's said to, that he came to not be served, but to do what? Serve. He humbled himself. Paul told the believers in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, here's the meekness, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not out for his own interests, but 
also the interest of others. Oh, dear people of God, how we need to hear that word today. Have this mind, this attitude among you, which is also in Christ Jesus, and that is one of humility, that's one of meekness. The meek defer to the wants and needs of others. They don't look around wondering why they have to be the ones waiting. Why they have to stand to the side while others receive attention and care. They don't grumble about not getting their way. It may play out in various ways, but it could be our attitude while we as professing believers are sitting in a restaurant and the waiter or waitress is taking forever to bring us our ticket, what's coming out of us at that point? It it might be our reaction when, when a young family has planned hard and set up babysitters for a night out, for a date night, for a husband and wife, and you've looked forward to it, you've planned toward it, and then lo and behold, one of your children comes home with a fever. How do we respond? It might be our response when we plan to block out the calendar. We've been busy, 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 running, running. By the way, there's an e-group for this. Busy, 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 running, 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 and we just blocked out. We need a weekend just to be home and really not have any schedule. And then your neighbor knocks on your door and there's a need. Those who are meek do not put themselves forward as more important than others. It is not about esteeming self and getting what you want in God's kingdom. The meek don't demand their own rights. They are teachable and they wait upon the Lord in all circumstances. That's a high calling. A second statement, meek people are open to correction and learning. You thought that one was painful. Listen to this one. The meek are willing, yes, to look up and admit our sinful failures before a holy God. I mean, children of God are naturally doing that. But we're not so willing for another child of God to point out our faults. To come alongside and give some constructive criticism to help us grow. It's comparatively easy to be honest with ourselves before God and acknowledge ourselves as sinners in His sight in our prayer closet. But how much more is it difficult to allow other people to say those things about our attitude or about our hurtful words or about our unforgiveness toward them? All of us prefer to condemn ourselves than let somebody else condemn us. But the meek person is able with patience and with a desire to hear constructive criticism and soft and hard accountability spiritually from right-minded, spirit-filled people in order to grow to be more like Christ. We call it accountability, accountability groups sometimes. But every single one of us deals with pride that is within us that naturally raises its ugly head when others try to speak Correction to us. And none of us can look like we don't have that pride because all of us are guilty of that pride. It's hard. Now, that's not permission for us to go crack a whip and, and spew all the faults we think everybody else has and be self righteous in doing that, but meek are able to listen and to learn 
from even our mistakes and our bad attitudes and our hurtful words and situations so that we can grow beyond those to be more like Jesus. We're called to be disciples, those who learn from our teacher, right? One of our measures is that we are students who learn to live changed. Here's the reality. God has given us His Word because it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. God has given every one of His children His Holy Spirit who abides with and within us to teach us all things and bring to remembrance what God has said in His Word and grow us in righteousness. God has also made us part of a bigger family called the church, the body of Christ, so that we would be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, so that we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. And so there is a function in the body of Christ to come alongside and love and help. And so to act like we've arrived and have all the knowledge and wisdom is not only the height of arrogance, it is the epitome of foolishness. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Remember, the wisdom that is from above that James 3, 17 talks about is open to reason. Meaning that wisdom isn't, I know it all. Proverbs 19 and verse 20, listen to the advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. The meek person is open to that kind of correction and learning. Hard living. This is a third statement. Meek people are slow to accuse and gentle in their counsel. By nature, we are a people who are quick to anger and quick to speak. Today, it seems like the slightest insult, poorly timed word, or insensitive remark sets us off. Short fuse. Everyone seems to be sitting on edge of their seat just waiting for someone to falter, someone to make a mistake, or someone to be exposed. Just eager to point it out. Real hatred for the other political side. Yeah, that word just came out of my mouth. Political side. is fueled by news outlets that don't even hide their agendas anymore. And every race, gender, and age group is pushed to the question of motives Words and actions of every other race, gender, and age group pitted against one another. Even among the people of God, the denouncements of one another far outpace the affirmations of one another. And dear people of God, this ought not be. The criticisms and the labels and the cries of heresy outnumber the encouragements and the praises and the calls for unity. You see it with the Asbury Revival and, and the spattering of revival that's, that's scattering across college campuses. There, there is a, a boatload of criticism about what's going on there. We ought to be praying, oh dear God, fall fresh on those students. But oh dear God, fall fresh on your people here and through Liberty Baptist Church. We assume the absolute worst of others and any misstep on their part only serves to confirm what we believe we already knew about them. This is the culture that you live in, that I live in, that we breathe that air every day and that we reflect far too many times. 
This is why meekness, when we receive it in Christ and we begin to grow in meekness, that's why it's a breath of fresh air. It's that soothing medicine, the right medicine in the right dosage at the right time. It's that gentle breeze that brings refreshing to you. This meekness is that salt of the earth and that light of the world in which we live. A person's soul withers away in the shackles of anger that is pent up within us. But with meekness, there is freedom and life to give. There is restoration and understanding and reconciliation. When you are meek, you remember that Jesus was so lovingly patient with you that you dare not be unlovingly impatient with those who are not like you or who have sinned against you. The meek treat others in their moment of failure the way they want to be treated when they fail too, and we will. Meekness is patient and willing to endure anything so long as it does not return evil for evil. Meekness fuels more humility, not more anger. The meek do not jump to condemn. Matthew 7, 1 through 4 is a good place. James chapter 1 and verse 19 is a good place. Not only does meekness suppress the rush to anger, but it also allows you to be gentle in your counsel with others. Pray it through first. The Bible calls us to be gentle even when those are opposing us. Because in being gentle, then we get to work in partnership with the Holy Spirit of God to bring reconciliation and restoration and spiritual growth. Ephesians chapter 4 reminds us, Walk worthy of the calling which you've been called in all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15, Speak truth in love. Not that we run from truth, not that we do not speak truth, but we do it in love and with grace. Ephesians 4 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, verse 29, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may be giving grace to those who hear it. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's a picture of meekness. Meekness grows the child of God to be gentle, humble, sensitive, and patient in dealing with others. The proclamation, Jesus said, it's against the grain. It's, it's backwards thinking in the culture in which you live. But in my kingdom, this is what is favored. This is what is approved. Blessed are the meek. But here's the promise. Number two, the promise, for they shall inherit the earth. It's a promise to those who are declared to be the children of God. It's a promise to those who have the meekness of Christ already abiding within us. That word inherit just means to receive what's your allotted portion. This may refer to the earthly reign of King Jesus in his millennial kingdom, which we all share in in Revelation 20. Or it certainly will include the recreated, restored earth that accompanies that new heaven and new earth in Revelation 21 and 22. The pronoun here, they shall, they, the pronoun is again emphatic like it has been the previous two times, which means only the meek, only the meek have the promise that they shall inherit the earth. In the end, it is the meek, not the self-assertive, who will gain a place in God's kingdom. 
I want to pause and just let you know Psalm 37. Write that down. Psalm 37 is an Old Testament backdrop to this passage. In fact, Jesus seems to almost quote word for word verse 11 that says, But the meek will inherit the land. In the context of Psalm 37, it's the Israelites whom the psalm was written, and despite living in the land, they did not fully possess the land because of the working of evil men. So what were they to do? And so there's instruction that they were called to trust in God, to have this attitude, this, this righteousness of meekness. Psalm 37, 3 and 5 says they called them to trust God. That Hebrew word for trust means to find your hiding place in, find your refuge in God. Trust God. Not the circumstances, not the threats of the enemy, not your strength, but trust God. Number two, they commit their way to God. Verse 5 in Psalm 37. That Hebrew word for commit, I love it, means literally roll over onto. Meek people have discovered that God is trustworthy. You believe that? And so if he's trustworthy, then we can roll these things over to him and trust them to him. What things? Well, our business, our, our family, our problems, our relationships, our health, our fears, our frustrations, all can be rolled over to the Lord because he is trustworthy. We admit that we're insufficient to cope with the complexities and pressures and anxieties of life, but our God is all-sufficient. Psalm 37, 7 says... Be quiet and before God and wait on Him. That doesn't mean to be lazy. That doesn't mean to do nothing. But that means in faith, we're waiting upon the Lord while we're busy abiding in, with Him in prayer and in the truth of His Word. And I love this, Psalm 37, 7b. Do not fret over the wicked. Do you find yourself fretting when you listen to the news? Do you find yourself fretting when you think about retirement? You find yourself fretting about the circumstances of the world or the, or the evil that seems to just be living sinful and getting away with it right now? The Bible says don't fret, don't glow, don't grow warm, don't boil within to the point of exploding. Don't fret over the evildoer. Why? Because there's coming a day that the meek will outlast the ungodly. There's coming a day that the meek will inherit the earth, not because we're the fittest or the cleverest or the strongest or the most powerful. No, because this is the promise of God for His people and His kingdom. And they shall inherit the earth. Striving for power and prestige is not the path of blessedness. Meekness is. This is why meek people don't just survive, they thrive. And they inherit the earth. There's coming a better day when justice will be served and the wicked will cease and the meek will increase in the land. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The vulnerability of meekness is both a very beautiful and a very painful thing. It does go against our nature our reaction, our response. It does require supernatural help, the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. But thanks be to God, that help is not just available, but promised for us 
in Christ. As we land the plane, let me just back up and grab those first two Beatitudes and the third one and ask some questions. In a moment, we're going to have opportunity to worship around the Lord's table, but here's the first question. Do I realize my spiritual bankruptcy without Jesus? Do I understand that magnitude of the poor in spirit? Do I mourn, grieve over my own tendency and propensity to sin? The sin within me and around me and the suffering that sin brings to me. And then for today, am I allowing the Holy Spirit to grow me in meekness? Have you ever prayed, dear God, grow me to be meek? I don't hear me praying that prayer very often. We do well to pray it more often. Do we promote ourselves through words and actions so that we will be recognized by others? That's a natural bent that we all have to battle against. Are we open to correction from God, from His Word, from others, from sermons, from lessons, from accountability partners, spiritual people in our life? Are we slow to accuse and gentle when we counsel? In a moment, we're going to worship at this table. And we get to remember God's love for us that was first and that is steadfast. We get to remember that he loved us so much that he gave his son. And we get an opportunity to thank him in this time of worship. We remember that God loved us when we were spiritually bankrupt and sinful and rebellious. But he loved us. While we were helpless and hopeless to save ourselves, he loved us and gave his only son to be born of the Virgin Mary, to be the perfect God-man, God incarnate, who came to live the life of perfect righteousness that we could not live and failed miserably against the law, but who came and died a sinner's death even though he was perfectly without sin. He died in our place as our substitute. He died on our behalf, shed his blood, paid the penalty of our own sin debt. Our sin was nailed to his cross and his righteousness was given for us as we turn from sin and put our trust in his work on the cross. And we remember that it's our sin, my sin, that nailed my Savior to the cross. Not just the sin of the world out there, but my personal sin. We remember and we surrender our life back to him as we worship with the element of bread and the element of juice in our hand, remembering a body that was laid out for us and uh, Jesus who died in our place and the blood that he was shed that was without spot and without blemish and sufficient to wipe away and atone for our sin. As we remember, we proclaim the good news of the gospel again about what it meant in your life and what it means in your life, but what it can mean in others that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. In a moment, the deacons are going to serve the bread and juice, and as the tray comes by, you will see cups in it. We're excited. It's the first time in three years we've got to do this. These cups are double stacked, so you pick up two cups. Once you have the cups, I'd encourage you to go ahead and just put one cup in each hand and hold on. Don't partake. We'll all partake together. 
But use that time as you're looking at the bread element and you're looking at the juice just to worship with thanksgiving. For a God who loved you when you were not lovable. And a God has done for you what you needed the most and you could not provide on your own. But he's graciously extended salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Once everyone is served and the deacons are back up front, then I will lead us together corporately to partake of the bread element and the juice. If you're a guest with us this morning and online worshipers, if you want to partake at home alongside of us, you can. If you're a child of God who has repented of your sin and put your trust in Jesus, we invite you to worship with us. For any believer that is here and your heart is not where it needs to be today, sin that you're battling, a relationship that's not where God needs it to be, anger or unforgiveness, if there's anything stirring within you, this might be a better time used for you to just meditate and pray and roll that over to the Lord. For any children or, or any person who is not yet a believer, we just encourage you, use this time to reflect upon what I just told you, that God loved you so much that he gave his only son for you. Jesus died in your place and he shed his blood that your sin could be forgiven and that you can become a new creation. And even in this time of meditation, as, as, as you just watch and observe what's going on around you, would you consider to surrender your heart, your life to Jesus and ask him to cleanse you of your sin? See, that's what the blood means. And for all of us, let this be a time for us to hear God speak and draw us close. This worship is ordained by our Savior. This do in remembrance of me. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, the deacons are going to come. And the deacons and I will be in place to serve you. And when I say amen, we'll begin to focus on these elements of the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, we love you because you first loved us. When we see the righteousness of Christ, we realize how far short we still fall. And Father, when we see the Beatitudes, we recognize that you're still working on us. And we're thankful for that. But Father, as we get ready to partake at the Lord's table, we're reminded that we're not worthy. We're reminded our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so, Father, may we behold, may we marvel, May we worship about your love for us through Christ. As we know how sinful we can be, may we rejoice to know that the blood of Jesus has cleansed us. And though our sins are like scarlet, they have become white as snow. As children of God, we are declared to be righteous in your sight. Not in our behavior or actions, but Father, in Christ. 
His righteousness. And may we celebrate the truth and the promise that we are condemned no more for our sin debt is paid in full in Christ. And Father, may this reminder cause us to fall in love with you more and more and more. And as we understand Jesus and his righteousness more, may the desire of our heart be to grow more like him. So, Father, by your Spirit, move our hearts. Guide us in understanding. Your goodness, your grace, your salvation that we proclaim as we worship at your table. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for worship this morning. Maybe uh, during the sermon today, there was, uh, uh, you sense a need for in your own life that you need to take a next step. I'm going to invite you to reach out to us. You can text the word NEXT to 205-236-3717, and, and we'll uh, try to reach back out to you and come alongside and help any way that we can. Uh, we'll start this coming Wednesday a new block of e-groups, and we're going to have two different groups. They're, uh, they're both titled. Crazy busy. That certainly describes so many of our lives. Uh, our ladies will be together. The men will be together. And, and we're going to walk through this reality that so many of us are so crazy busy. And, and let's learn how, as Christ followers, uh, we can walk through this. Now, uh, uh, you can sign up for one of those groups by going to our website, lbcchelsea.com, and just click on the events, and you'll see where to sign up for our e-groups. Invite you to join us next Sunday as we continue in this current sermon series. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you soon. Now go and live it out.